You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. Everyone is facing these huge, life-changing moments. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. I think it really is important for folks to reach out to people so they can know that they're not alone. We don't know how long all this is going to go on for. And from an emotional standpoint, psychologically, that's a really difficult, difficult thing to grapple with. This is KCBS In-Depth. The coronavirus lockdown, it's credited with saving countless people from infection and death, but it's come at a great cost, from lost jobs to skipped doctor's visits. And with that toll only mounting, a group of public health experts recently took a very public stand to make the case that the lockdown should be ended. I'm Keith Manconi. This is KCBS In-Depth, and today on the program, we're going to be speaking with one of the authors of The Great Barrington Declaration, calling for a complete overhaul of our approach to this pandemic. First released early this month, its organizers say the declaration has gained the signatures of many thousands of experts and professionals from within the medical field. But it's also received fierce criticism as well from those who say the plan would bring about the very surge in COVID-19 deaths that we've been trying to avoid since the pandemic began. We're going to lay out that plan now, as well as its criticism. Joining us to do that is Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, professor of medicine at Stanford University and one of three co-authors for the Great Barrington Declaration. Welcome to the program, Dr. Bhattacharya. Thank you. Also joining us, a voice that has become very familiar to our listeners since the pandemic began. That would be Dr. John Schwartzberg, Emeritus Professor of Public Health at UC Berkeley's Division of Infectious Disease. Also among the many who are strongly against the plan that we'll be discussing today. Welcome to the program, Dr. John Schwartzberg. Thank you very much. So we're going to start by outlining that plan, Dr. Bhattacharya, and perhaps the best place to start there would be with defining that term that you use uh, to define your strategy. Uh, Use a term called focused protection. So if you could explain for us what you mean when you say focus protection and why you think that this is a strategy that should be adopted over uh, our, our current approach, which is broad lockdowns. Sure. So focus protection, the basic idea takes advantage of a scientific fact, which is that people who uh, we, we know from, from many, many uh, studies who really is vulnerable should they become infected with COVID-19. Uh, people over 70 face a considerable mortality risk if they become infected, something on the order of 4 or 5%. Um, you know, so 95 or 96 people out of, uh, out of 100 who get the infection will survive, but 4 or 5 will die. Um, so the, on the other hand, people who are younger face considerably lower risk, something on the order of 5 in 10,000. So 9,995 people uh, will survive out of 10,000 infections for people under 70. Um, and there's some comorbid conditions also that, that, that increase risk, but not quite as much as the 10,000-fold difference between the youngest and the oldest. And children, for instance, um, the flu is much more dangerous. Uh, the more children have died of the flu this year than, the, than COVID. Uh, very low risk of mortality for children. Um, so the idea of focus protection is to, to devote our considerable resources to protect the people we know to be vulnerable. Uh, so nursing homes, for instance, uh, use testing and other, other kinds of ideas there of staff and, and uh, visitors, for instance, um, to make sure that nursing homes don't, uh, don't the nurse residents don't get exposed to people who have active infection. Um, I think a lot of the failure and death we've seen in the, uh, around the world, and certainly in the United States, has to do with our inability to protect nursing homes. And I think we can certainly continue to do better there, although we've improved quite a bit. Uh, in multi-generational homes, 
I think uh, we, we, we can um, use ideas like if, if, you're, if you have a you know, younger person living with an older person, if the younger person is exposed or is, is uh, thought to might have, might, might have the COVID infection, to provide alternate re living arrangements for the older person. Um, so that they don't have to be, you know, in the same same home for a little while until the until the infection is cleared, and for older people who are working, in essential jobs that that put them like a you know a clerk or uh, maybe even a teacher, and you're older, uh, it, if they're required to teach in person, there should be we can use workplace disability laws to protect uh, to provide reasonable accommodations to people so that older people, vulnerable people, don't have to be exposed to the virus. There's a lot we can do. To protect the vulnerable, and I think we should, that's that's the idea of focus protection to to work very hard to protect them. Yeah. So uh, once again, speaking with Jay Bhattacharya with Stanford University, I, I think many would be very comfortable with this notion that we should be focusing our, our resources, uh, especially strongly on those who are most vulnerable. Uh, I mean, I think that the call has been out for a long time to protect uh, folks in nursing homes, uh, as well as the homeless and uh, uh, other folks that are most vulnerable. I, I think that we're comfortable thinking in those terms, but the language within the declaration goes a step further and uh, I think is uh, makes more provocative assertions. Uh, for example, I'm just going to read a portion of it right here. Uh, it reads, those who are not vulnerable should immediately be allowed to resume life as normal. Schools and universities should be open for in-person teaching. Extracurricular activities such as sports should be resumed. Uh, young, low-risk adults should be uh, should work normally rather than from home. Restaurants and other businesses should open. That would run counter to some extent to uh, the health policy that we have in place. Uh, you know, we, we've opened up to some extent here in the Bay Area, but there are still uh, a number of restrictions that you're saying uh, should be lifted. Uh, explain uh, your, your thinking there. Yeah, so for instance, schools are still, in many places, closed to in-person instruction. Um, uh, the, the, there's a lot of activities that we've restricted. Those, those restrictions harm people's health. Just take schools, for instance. Schools are places where many, many poor pe uh, children get m much of their nutrition for the day, you know, with subsidized or, or free, free, free uh, food free meals. Um, it's where abuse is picked up. It's where psychological counseling happens for children. It's where uh, special needs children get their care. We basically have, have restricted much of that by, by closing schools. Of course, there's also the psychological benefits for most kids from, from the socialization that they're, that they're missing. For, for young adults, it's similar. I mentioned the suicide rate, suicidality, uh, ideation rate among young adults just this June, but it's, it's actually much higher in the general population at large. Those activities are not dangerous activities for those for people who are not vulnerable. Those restricting those activities are dangerous. That's the idea behind the declaration. Uh, you need to consider not just COVID harm, but also non-COVID harm. And by ignoring the non-COVID harm, we're doing health harms to the non-vulnerable. All right. Well, uh, I think that that provides a good starting point for this conversation. Uh, again, we should note that there has been an awful lot of pushback to these ideas for many in the scientific community. And we'll be hearing more about those concerns from Dr. Schwartzberg in just a second. But uh, I want to first give you a chance, Dr. Bhattacharya, to respond to a different line of concern that some have about um, uh, the movement itself. That is, as we've mentioned, the website for the declaration uh, claims thousands of signatories from uh, the medical field. Uh, in support of the declaration, but some of those signatures have been determined to be uh, fake, um, some quite obviously so. A couple of uh, standouts on the list uh, have been reported that the signatories include names like Dr. Johnny Bananas, uh, Dr. Person Fake Name, 
obviously uh, not quite meeting the sniff test right there. So what can you tell us in terms of how those fake names came about, um, uh, how your organization has responded? And, you know, most importantly, since if, if we're talking about a broad coalition here, what assurances can you give that the, the, the tally that you are presenting uh, for the number of supporters is, in fact, accurate? Yeah, so uh, first let me just say I, I love Johnny Bananas. That's a fantastic guy. I mean, if I was going to put a fake name, I would, I would think of that myself. That's, I, so kudos. A for creativity. Um, uh, I, we have uh, I've been, I think, subject partly to a, just a few people who have organized a, way, a campaign to, to add these fake names to discredit us. Um, so we've been, uh, we, meaning the, the folks that host the website, have undergone a systematic analysis, and they, find, they found that f- fewer than 1% of, of the names are fake. Uh, so, I mean, I think uh, that's basically a canard. It's not true that the, 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 the preponderance, I mean, it's like the vast, vast majority of names are, are true. The, the, the healthcare professionals, many of them have written me. There are thousands of healthcare people, thousands of, of public health experts who have written in support of this, and signed uh, that are legitimate, and you can look up most of them uh, and, and contact them if you like. They put their names forward, sort of, kind of very bravely, given the the the, the environment that we're in. So I think that's uh, that's really important to know. Um, and it's it's less. I mean, I think uh, it seems like that's a distraction. It is very clear that there's scientific support for what we're talking about, um, and it's also very clear that there's scientific uh, you know sort of opinion contrary to us. That that I think everyone has seen. Um, the message is that the science is divided on this. Um, there's a debate going on inside the scientific community. The scientific community is not speaking with one voice, as I think some people might think, some of your listeners might think. In fact, there's a considerable divide inside the scientific community. Um, and uh, I think the declaration makes that clear. All right. We're going to pick up on that divide in just one second. Real quick, I want to remind anybody who's just joining us that you are listening to KCBS In-Depth, a weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life in the Bay Area and beyond. I'm Keith Manconi. Today on the program, re-examining our approach to the pandemic. We're speaking with one of the authors of the Great Barrington Declaration, which is calling for an end to lockdown to be replaced instead with a strategy of focused protection for the most vulnerable. Uh, that author would be Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, a professor of medicine at Stanford University. The declaration has, as we've been discussing, garnered widespread criticism as well, though. So we're speaking with one of those critics. That would be Dr. John Swartzberg, Emeritus Professor of Public Health at UC Berkeley's Division of Infectious Disease. So, Dr. Swartzberg, uh, you've heard the plan as it was just laid out. Uh, I know you have concerns. I'll let you start those uh, wherever you like. Uh, so what are the concerns that come to mind for you? Well, certainly Dr. Bhattacharya and I agree, and everybody in public health and medicine agrees, that we first want to do no harm. And I feel strongly, my colleagues feel strongly, and I don't think the scientific community is as divided as Dr. Bhattacharya suggests. I think the Infectious Disease Society of America, Dr. Fauci, et cetera, um, all come down with the uh, come down to the conclusion that this Great Barrington Declaration would do enormous harm. It's estimated that if we followed the advice by the people who signed this declaration, if it was carried out, we would have 1.8, 2 million, 2.2 million deaths from carrying out a policy that has never been carried out by public health professionals in a pandemic before. The vulnerable population that Dr. Bhattacharya talks about is absolutely correct. It's older people, but that's only a portion of the, of the vulnerable population. 
we've identified very clearly who the vulnerable are. And while age is a major risk factor, there are also many other important risk factors that are altogether too common in our society. Obesity, even overweight, diabetes mellitus, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, cardiac problems, the list goes on and on and on. When you add those numbers up of people in the United States with risk factors for increased morbidity and mortality, you wind up with close to 40% of the adult population in the United States. Mortality is of course the most important thing to prevent. And when the suggestion is that it does more harm to keep people um, out of schools, out of work, out of bars, out of restaurants, out of sports. Ask the people who have died of this disease if they, if it, if they believe that. And it's not only the harm in terms of death. We've seen over the last several months the emergence of chronic problems from an acute COVID infection. We've talked, we, people have heard a lot about brain fog described from this. We don't understand yet very well the central nervous system problems associated with COVID infection, but we know they do occur. We're very concerned about other organ disease besides the lungs where we're seeing chronic scarring. But another organ that we're very worried about is the heart. We've seen people develop what's called myocarditis or an inflammatory process in the heart up to a couple of months after a minor COVID infection sometimes a moderate COVID infection, sometimes a serious one, and even people who were infected and didn't get sick and still develop this up to a couple months later. And we don't know the long-term consequences of that. Mm. All right. So I, I think you raised uh, two really important points, and uh, we can uh, let you expand on that in just a second. But I want to I want to give Dr. Bhattacharya a, a, a chance to respond as well. So uh, we'll start with the, the first of those important points, uh, that first one being that there is a lot of doubt, Dr. Bhattacharya, that it is indeed possible to really segment society off in the way that uh, I think this plan would be calling for. Uh, if, if it is indeed 40 percent of the adult population that is vulnerable to this disease, how, how, how can you keep 40 percent of the population hidden away? Uh, and even if it's a smaller number, there's many multifamily homes. There's many people that simply can't skip work. And then there's the hospitals themselves where, you know, there's there's going to be a certain amount of flow through of all generations and and all health levels going through the hospitals. So uh, a lot of skepticism there that the segmentation and the the focused approach really uh, can't accomplish the level of focus that it would need uh, to succeed. Uh, What's your response to that? Yeah, so let me start with the projection models. Uh, The uh, the projection models that that, that Dr. Schwartzberg said, uh, cited, as we've all seen, have done a very, very poor job of of predicting the course of the disease. Uh, They, I think, um, are not an accurate guide to what would happen on COVID deaths as a consequence of the focus of the of the of the focus protection plan that I've been talking about, um, uh, the, the the in fact the the total deaths would be lower. Uh, I think uh, just thinking about uh, COVID by itself, I think is a itself a public health mistake. And actually, it's it's an absolutely extraordinary thing that we've done, where public health has decided to ignore every other harm other than COVID. Um, that's never been done in history. Public health generally is a, takes a holistic view. Of of, uh, of health and thinks about other other harms. Um, so just to give you a sense of of what the harms might be on the other side, 
Uh, the UN estimates there will be an additional 130 million deaths as a consequence of the lockdowns, of starvation caused by the lockdowns worldwide. Uh, an, an additional uh, almost half million, 400,000 additional tuberculosis deaths because of, of interruptions in treatment for tuberculosis patients worldwide. Uh, um, I, take your, I take your point uh, that uh, the models uh, are difficult to predict, but uh, putting the models aside for a second, we saw what happened in New York, we saw what happened in Italy, and I think for a lot of people the thought that we might see that similar outbreaks uh, with similar death tolls happen on a much broader scale throughout the U.S. is uh, quite, uh, quite a you know, scary scenario. Uh, you don't really need a model to know what that would look like since we've uh, seen it. So if the thought is that our best defense against that is the segmentation of society and, and uh, the lockdown orders that we've had so far, uh, you're saying we can get away with uh, just this focused approach. Uh, I, I want to go back to the, the point that Dr. Schwartzberg was raising. How can the focused approach really protect the most vulnerable when there is so much mixing yeah, within society? A, yeah, let me address that. Uh, so um, and, and Dr. Schwarzberg, actually, I, I think this is a point of agreement between us. Um, there are actually other risk factors. I think I mentioned that in my initial remarks, um, not just age. But age is by far the most important. There's a thousand-fold difference between uh, the mortality risk between people who are oldest and people who are youngest. Uh, whereas many of the other risk factors that Dr. Schwarzberg cited, which are risk factors, uh, you know, obesity, uh, uh, you know, diabetes, um, those are, are on the order of uh, two to four times more risk in the, in, the, in the data. So I think it's important to, to think about, and it's important to, 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 to understand, if you, are, if you have those risk factors, you are, I, I would consider you vulnerable. Um, the, the, the idea of uh, focus protection is let's focus the resources on those people rather than trying to, essentially, what's the current lockdown policy? We're saying we're going to isolate everyone from everyone else. Uh, that's harder than a focus protection idea where the resources and, and ingenuity of public health are, are devoted to identifying and protecting people who are vulner most vulnerable. Much of the, uh, the harm from the, that we're talking about in nursing homes and other, elsewhere, that's what we're thinking, talking about really from to New York. Um, that actually hasn't happened in much of the rest of the country. Right? That was, a, 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 in some sense, a, a unique occurrence in a very, very high-density environment that has not been replicated in other non-high-density environments. Um, uh, if you look around the country, we have not had a repeat of that. And if you look around the world, uh, you know, places that have been relatively open have not had that happen. Um, so I think uh, that fear, the fear that we, I think, put into our heads in March, it, it, it's time to update that. We have now have a lot more evidence about what works and what doesn't work. It's very clear that early on in the epidemic, those policies, of the, the severe lockdown policies that undertook in, in New York and elsewhere did not actually work to prevent the epidemic. Uh, we, uh, the, the, uh, the current approach asks us to do this more or less indefinitely in a way that is not consistent with human, human nature, human behavior, um, and it's gonna, it will result in more death in the long run than the, and, and even, I think even in the short run than, than the focus protection ideas in the, in the Great Barrington Declaration. All right, a lot to respond to right there, and we are going to uh, hear more about it uh, real quick. One last time, I want to remind our listeners that they are listening to KCBS In-Depth. I'm Keith Manconi. Today we're discussing the Great Barrington Declaration, the controversial call for members of the scientific community to end the lockdown and replace it with a strategy of focused protection. Joining us for that conversation is one of the declarations
Declaration's authors, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, a professor of medicine at Stanford University. We're also joined by one of the Declaration's many critics. That would be Dr. John Swartzberg, Emeritus Professor of Public Health at UC Berkeley's Division of Infectious Disease. Uh, Dr. Swartzberg, I'm, I'm sure that you have a lot to, uh, that you'd like to respond to there. Uh, but before we get to uh, your, your response, I'd, I'm wondering if you could respond to something that uh, Dr. Bhattacharya just said, which is that it doesn't seem like we have a plan to get out of this lockdown. We don't have a plan for an exit strategy. What, in your view, is the the road to opening back up? What's a, what's the what's a safe road to opening back up, in your view? Sure, I think um, it's fair to say we don't have a plan. Uh, not we being public health, not we being physicians, but we being the United States of America. Um, and I'm specifically referring to the executive branch of the United States of America, and that is. We have no leadership to resolve this problem. If we had had leadership in the United States from the beginning that gave our workers, our our healthcare workers adequate PPE, that developed quickly the ability to do massive testing on our population, that aggressively developed contact tracing that required states to utilize the known public health measures that would reduce the amount of contagion and spread of this virus. We would have done much better all along. And would part of your contention here be that in the absence of that national policy and in absence of some of the robust uh, public health responses that we would like to see, that we simply have no choice but to remain in some level of lockdown, even as it's uh, loosened to some degree uh, week by week? My argument would be that we would be doing so much better if we had a national policy. So we rely now, for example, in California on state policy and county public health policies. And our policies particularly in Northern California have been very successful. Um, We're now starting to try and open up things more. When we use the word lockdown, it's not like it's an absolute that you're either locked down or you're back to having everybody back to work as the the Barrington Declaration suggests. We're not talking, that's I think absolutely absurd. What we're talking about is gradually reintroducing people into the workplace into the social circumstances that they enjoy, into school, into sports, and doing it safely and making sure that we do it at a time when the numbers of cases in our community are way down. And the way you get those cases down is by identifying who's sick, contact trace, quarantining those folks. So these are basic principles that will work and we can gradually reintroduce people into doing the things that we all absolutely need to do. So how about it, Dr. Bhattacharya, the uh, the approach that we just heard outlined right there? I mean, it is the case that as things have gotten safer, we have opened up little by little. We are certainly uh, much more open than we were at the beginning of the pandemic. So isn't there a little bit more nuance in the current approach than uh, the Great Barrington Declaration gives it credit for? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, we've, we have taken a, a approach that is very cautious with, with regard to COVID. And we've taken an approach that is absolutely reckless with regard to other non-COVID-related harms. Um, the, 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 the approach that Dr. Schwartzberg has outlined uh, uh, is absolutely uh, sounds reasonable, but in fact has caused and will continue to cause enormous harm to people who are not vulnerable from COVID, 
to people worldwide who are harmed by these these lockdowns. There's a reason why I think um, these lockdowns have become increasingly unpopular. The, the harms from them are evident to every single person who's been subject to them. Our schools are still closed for in-person instruction. Our uh, businesses are operating at, at non-zero to only marginal capacity. Um, these lockdowns are still in place uh, in the Bay Area and worldwide, actually. Uh, so I think it's not right to say that they're not here. I think the right approach, focus protection of the people we know to be vulnerable, use those resources that way, and let, let everybody else get on with their lives because the risk from the lockdowns, the harms from the lockdowns are so much greater than the harms from COVID. And Dr. Schwartzberg, I'll leave uh, the closing words to you. Uh, what would you like our uh, listeners to keep in mind as they're uh, weighing these, uh, you know, difficult uh, lockdown questions? Sure. We all want this, this pandemic to go away. We want to get back to our lives. We all have to, fig- we have to figure out how to do it that balances everything. I want to just say one last thing about the assumptions that underpin the Great Barrington Declaration and that is that we will achieve herd immunity. This is a theory. This is not a reality that we know will happen. We do not know scientifically, we do not know today how long immunity will last. We have already documented clearly at least three cases where people have had a second infection. We don't know how common this will be. So if immunity lasts three months, This idea of herd immunity is a non-existent idea. If it lasts six months, it's a non-existent idea. We are entertaining something like this would be based upon a theory without strong science to support it that clearly is gonna cause more people to get sick acutely and chronically, and it will cause more deaths. I think it's a very unwise thing to do. And I will conclude by just quoting Dr. Fauci. I think it's nonsense. All right. Well, uh, I think I'm going to have to double back on what I just said a moment ago. Uh, Dr. Bhattacharya, I'd imagine you'd like to respond to Dr. Schwartzberg's uh, point there on herd immunity, which, uh, again, for our listeners, is the idea that if enough people in society have been infected and recovered from the illness, eventually it becomes more difficult for the virus to spread. Dr. Schwartzberg, they're suggesting the science says we shouldn't count on that. Uh, So lifting the lockdown for young, healthy people may not accomplish quite as much as you're hoping, uh, Dr. Bhattacharya. What's your response? Yeah, I think there's an intense scientific debate going on about herd immunity to, to or immunity to uh, SARS-CoV-2. And the evidence is in, in increasingly indicating that we there is actually lasting immunity. The other coronaviruses provide years of immunity. Uh, to date, we've had 750 million infections worldwide and only four or five reinfections. The, the herd immunity is the end point of this disease. There's no other way. Uh, just like the other coronaviruses are controlled by herd immunity, this also will be controlled no matter what strategy we take, whether we wait for a vaccine or we do focus protection. The only question is how do we get there safely? And focus protection is the way to do that. All right. Well, uh, I hate to cut it off there because that's far from the final word on the topic of herd immunity. Uh, This year, again, is an area where uh, many scientists have come out expressing some of the same concerns that we just heard there from Dr. Schwartzberg. But uh, unfortunately, we are limited by time today. So uh, this conversation will have to end there. I want to thank you both for a very thoughtful conversation. We were hearing just a moment ago from Dr. John Schwartzberg, Emeritus Professor of Public Health at UC Berkeley's Division of Infectious Disease. 
Dr. Schwartzberg, thank you once again for being on KCBS in depth. I appreciate your time. Thank you. And thank you as well to Dr. Jay Bhattacharya. He's a professor of medicine at Stanford University, one of the three co-authors of the Barrington Declaration released earlier this month. Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, thank you as well. Thank you, Keith. And thank you all for listening for KCBS and In-Depth. I'm Keith Menconi. Stay safe, be well. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS.